Hello and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. It's Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. I'm Sam Aquilano, the founder and executive director of the museum, and Liz is back. Welcome back, Liz. Thanks, Sam. It's so good to be back. Ah, we missed you. Liz is our amazing vice president here at Design Museum Everywhere. Liz, this is our 20th episode. So, as promised, I'm going to stop calling this our new podcast. It's just going to be our podcast. That sounds right. I, I, I think it's about time. I yeah, think we're ready. It feels, it feels right. Uh, how does it feel to be 20 episodes in? Any favorites? Yeah, I was thinking about this recently. And I think it's also because it's like September and like school starting up. But I love our episodes about education. Yeah. And I also love our edu- uh, episodes about like just the workplace and remote mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was thinking back to how much the world has changed in our 20 episodes. <laughs> um, so it's been cool to have different conversations. And as we often say, this this is the way Liz and I socialize now. And so it's been amazing to have um, our friends on and to make new friends. And so, uh, yeah. I know. Onward and upward for the next 20. Well, and the fact that we started this in April and it just so much yeah. has changed in that time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fun cataloging of that time as well. Totally agreed. I love looking at our page because now it's just like all these awesome episodes. On this episode, uh, we'll be discussing how design plays a role in solving civic challenges. We have two folks joining us who are designers embedded in government, creating solutions at various scales and contexts. Uh, Our guest co-host is Sabrina Dorsonville. She's the director of civic design for the city of Boston's Office of New Urban Mechanics. I can't wait for her to tell us what a new urban mechanic is. <laughs> and uh, Liz, Sabrina, and I will interview our special guest. Ann Peterson is the Director of Experience Design at 18F, an office of federal employees that collaborates with other agencies to improve how government serves the public through technology. I can't wait to learn more about Ann's work. But first, Liz, what's coming up at the Design Museum? Well, I am thrilled to announce that Ramala Mohammed and Jessica Kender will be our keynote speakers for Design Night Live. Uh, Ramala is a writer and co-executive producer on Little Fires Everywhere, starring Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington. And she's also written on shows that I'm sure many of you know, uh, like Scandal and Grey's Anatomy, and worked alongside Jessica, who has production designed a variety of looks for Little Fires Everywhere, Dexter, The Brink, Goliath, and Life in Pieces, just to name a few. Uh, Together, they will share their experience designing and storytelling in the television and film industry. It's going to be an absolutely incredible night. And if you'd like to join us, uh, just go to designnightlive.org to get your tickets today. Uh, We've made them free for all of our members. And for those of you who are not yet members, your ticket will actually include a year-long membership to the museum. So, it's really just a win-win all around and really excited oh for that gosh. event. Yeah, you get a membership, so you get to hang with us all year and you get an awesome night. You get the Design Museum magazine. I mean, this is like yeah. the deal of the century. And it's just around it's gonna the corner. It's going to be on oh, September 19th, so we're almost there. All right. On to this week's topic. Design impacts everything around us and so does government. Think of all the services you use and experience that you have that intersect with local, state, and the federal government. Everything from the DMV to elections to unemployment to city streets, government plays a huge role in our lives. Government is, when it works well, basically in essence, a service provider. And like any service provider, these services and experiences are designed, either designed well or designed poorly. 
uh, but too often our intersections with government are not great. Uh, luckily, we have a co-host uh, with us today who is applying design within government using creative problem solving and innovation to improve the urban experience. Sabrina Dorsonville is the Director of Civic Design for the Boston Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics. Sabrina's work aims to improve the everyday lives of the people around her by addressing complex issues such as housing, healthcare, and human rights. She has worked with international and local community-based organizations, nonprofits, large institutions, and startups on issues regarding social, spatial, and environmental justice. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Yay, thanks for having me. Ah, thanks for being here. I should add that we feature Sabrina's career story in our online We Design exhibition, so be sure to check that out. I would love, just right from the beginning, if you could share for our listeners what a new urban mechanic is and does in Boston. The new urban mechanics have been around since 2010, um, and they do sit within the mayor's office here in the city of Boston. Um, and the team is essentially charged with um, thinking creatively about uh, the sort of future and current state of, of government, trying to figure out how we can um, support uh, folks in building things that people want and need, thinking about things like delightfulness, thinking about um, you know racial equity and how it plays out in our work. Um, but all around, to your point about um, government services, we're really just grounding um, what we do as a team of I wouldn't call us misfits, but uh, <laughs> we do come from so many different spaces um, and really, really try and um, carry out this mentality that everyone has the capacity to shape, shift, influence um, and uh, change uh, government and really um, have the potential to impact the spaces around them in thoughtful ways. And I think design has a really important role to play there. So as I understand, like, this is pretty unique to a city. I don't know if there's a lot of these like innovation offices within cities, but so so how did this office of new urban mechanics like start? What was the reason? Yeah, so I think again back to the the name new urban mechanics. It's helpful to note that um, it, the team originated during the time of Mayor Menino, and uh, Menino was sort of uh, my team would probably say tongue in cheekly, but sort of snarkily uh, named the urban mechanic for his you know goals to if it's broken fix it right like mm, why um, why sit around and sort of plan and and um, sort of uh, this desire that like we all have the capacity to see the problem. Um, and navigate the solution. And uh, I think if you think back to 2010, it was around the time that technology was sort of taking off in in, in a sense of apps. And um, I, I think the phone, it's crazy to think that it was just 10 years ago when uh, the cell phone became such a crucial part um, of our everyday lives. So there was definitely in the early days this like, um, this relationship to technology that government was trying to navigate. The neuromechanics, um, we emerged from a team of two to now maybe a team of 10. Mm -hmm. um, and really throughout the years, even as technology has sort of ebbed and flow as our, our primary focus, um, we've touched so many other things. And I would say that um, we don't think technology first. We definitely think, you know, what is the context that um, we're sort of looking at? Who is involved? Who should be involved? Um, what's the sort of historical challenge here at play? And what are the things that we can try or test out as a team um, to sort of get at that, you know, yes, we can do the planning, but also we should be doing the doing. Um, and that <laughs> doing is a way to learn. 
So could you talk about what role design plays in all of this? Like, how is that incorporated? The definition of design can (laughs) run like a wild spectrum. Um, And I think that's something that I definitely hold in the role that that I play, but that the team plays is that, um, you know, it's not just a product, right? It's not just the service itself. It's also the process by way, you know, things get done. And so, you know, I think when we think about design, like sometimes it is a program, right? Sometimes it is um, testing out a sensor in, in the public realm. Uh, sometimes it is about data and thinking about privacy and democracy and how it plays out in that. Um, sometimes it is developing an infographic to better make sense of something we're trying to put out in the public realm and uh, in public space and, and make sure that people understand it and creating feedback loops to be able to understand it. And sometimes it's about the built environment, um, which is something that I've had like a great pleasure of doing is really thinking about the spaces that, um, you know, people who fall into the margins, right? Folks who are experiencing homelessness, young people, um, what are the sort of spaces that um, have been designed, need to be redesigned or can be um, created to, to make sure that they are, you know, living their they're as best of a life in the city as they can and, and really contributing to the future um, that will help help make that a reality. Yeah. Yeah. I got to think, too, even just yourself and the folks in your office, just like the mindset of like problem solving and trying things. Is, it's like in contrast to the rest of government. And I don't mean to say that like a lot of government employees like working hard. Government is perennially like underfunded for like everything that it needs to do and so you get kind of like government that's just like going through the motions and I do think it's awesome that you all have the opportunity to prototype and try stuff but I think I think you mentioning that it's it's you know nothing that we do is done in isolation and it couldn't be done without the champions and the departments that are charged with looking at like a particular focus and a particular population and in you know I think so much of the things we do is not about, you know, shiny and new, but really interrogating like how we got here and, you know, are we asking the right questions of where we want to go? And that also relies on the inclusion of folks who are community activists, who are right, those startups that are like trying to figure out a way to solve a challenge. It 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 relies on folks from all different walks of life, which I think is why we aim to like mirror that on who's on the team, right? So we have folks who maybe were former biology teachers or former data scientists and um, you know, myself as also as an artist, right? What does that mean to have all of us say that like government is not just for um, politicians. It's it's a it's about our lives. That that's what our our lives are impacted, and and that we can have a say. And what does it look like to do that at all different levels in terms of inviting people to that space? Speaking of all those levels, I would love to di- like hear f- about some of your projects. Um, yeah. Maybe you know some that you've enjoyed or that have had a big impact that you can kind of tell us about. I would say you know some of the exciting things that have emerged pre 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 this. COVID, um, but but still, you know, worth figuring out, like, what does it look like is, you know, working um, with Jacqueline on our team to uh, think about where youth show up, right? We know that um, this state here in Massachusetts has an, encouraged uh, civic action that is um, uh, allowing sort of young, young people um, in middle school and high school um, to be supported in having projects that they run that are about their local community. And I think for us, we've constantly been trying to f- figure out how um, young people can take up more space, right? Uh, and how they can be a part of the conversation, regardless of their taxpayer status or not. Um, and so um, been really excited to to try and do that work and 
uh, in the last year, uh, we actually spent a lot of time with undergraduate students, um, in particular Northeastern Scout Lab, uh, trying to have them help us work with, uh, you know, folks like Asian CDC and Zoomix and all of these groups that are working with young people at a creative capacity to say like, how do we start the conversation about how young people want to be engaged and how do we like really understand how the city can better receive young people and what does that look like? And, and so it's been really great to, to work directly with young people to, to work with younger people who are working with young people and that sort of like ecosystem of all of us sort of trying to figure out where do we go from here. So, you know, you just mentioned so many things, right? How how are those decisions made? Like how how do you decide on what to work on and what to tackle? I would say there's not one source. <laughs> Long story short, there's not one source to the projects. Um, they really are anchored in and are like understanding and constant investigation of like what's needed, how we can be supportive, how we can push folks, how how folks are hoping to be uh, pushed, right? And and where there's like room for creativity. Um, and I do think it's helpful to note that you know our team, you know, has for years really prioritized things like you know, racial justice and especially, you know, as the city of Boston, um, you know, stood up the Office of Resilience and Racial Equity. But I mean, it's helpful to note that even now, you know, as we enter our or as we're like making our way through our 10th year of existence, um, we know we can do better and we know we can do more. And we know that, you know, even being situated in government with its with its flaws and, and with its benefits, that there's just that question is still open about how do we do better by people? And, you know, how do we make sure that we are approaching every version of the work built environment service providing right like how do we make sure we're, we're doing that thoughtfully and um, being grounded in this this question around justice and it's helpful to know I think when people think about innovation right like it's like oh let's swoop in and save the day and I like definitely like that makes my my stomach turn and um, I think when we hear the word innovation we sort of cringe a little bit um, because it comes with these connotations about shiny and new and let's sort of usurp the situation and and um, I don't think that, you know, any of us believe that we're like 100% experts on any of the spaces that we, you know, work in, but that we uh, step into those spaces with curiosity and earnestness and this desire, again, to hold the values of of equity and justice and, and really questioning who's there and who's not there and, you know, wondering what does our democracy look like and how do we make sure that we um are, are grounded in those things as we continue to move forward with anything like engagement or the 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 project itself a lot of d designers eyes are being open to like there is never a blank canvas no, right there's, there's so much there's history here <laughs> a constituent group there's history and it just strikes me that like certainly in government there's never a blank canvas there's a community there are people who are impacted and it sounds like that's like where you begin yeah and when we think about like design or civic design or any of this, um, you know, it, it's all about like intention. And uh, I really like, I look at, the, you know, there are remarkable organizations, you know, design organizations that are run by like women of color that are really narrowing in on the reality that we exist in today where, you know, so much of policy and uh, the the things that we, the systems that we're working in right now have been by design, right? And so what does it look like for us to undesign those things and redesign those things is, um, you know, and I 
yeah, I look forward to more folks seeing that it's not just an easy answer that we can sort of craft around a scope of work, but it is a really large entangled um, process by way that all of us have to be involved in order to to really think about a future that is inclusive and thoughtful and, you know, welcomes everyone with dignity. Um, so be curious in kind of what areas of government uh, you think are kind of in drastic need of design. And if you had like a dream project, what would it be? That that question's tough. I don't know if I have like a one dream project versus um, the one big goal that we do get to a place of uh, of truth and, and reconciliation and and justice to a sense. And, you know, I think we've started to embark on this this area of figuring out, you know, for example, where do indigenous folks show up, right? What is our responsibility uh, to hold space for that? And um, I think there's so many versions of that. Like, what is the, I don't, I don't wanna say, but like, what is the truth here? And, um, and you know, some things that are hard to, to touch even in the position that I'm in right now, but, um, I like hold dear in my heart is things like mental health, right? Things that are like invisible to all of us. Um, I, I think about, yeah, there's all these loose ends around like gender and identity that uh, I think like seep into not just like the things that get put out by government, but the way that it works internally. And like all of those really, um, for, I don't have a better word than gnarly um, things. I've been scra- I've been skateboarding, y'all. So I'm just over here, like, yeah, uh, uh, um, not very good, but working on it. Um, uh, yeah, it, it just so I my don't have an answer quite yet, and I will think on it, and maybe by the end of this call, I'll have a, a, a better response. But I think there's so much there's so much room to grow, and there's so many people willing to make that change. I think we just need to be in it together. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Appreciate it. Listeners, check out the Mayor's Office of New Urban Mechanics, and we'll put a link on our episode page. Also, you got to find Sabrina on social media because her art is so good and makes us smile. Um, But yeah, the New Urban Mechanics website has lots of great content to explore. I love the year in review and uh, the various programs that are outlined on the page. Uh, you know, that, that are happening in Boston. I know you'll enjoy it. And Sabrina, uh, please stick around and we'd love to have you join us uh, to chat with Ann Peterson from 18F. If you like Design is Everywhere, you'll love our upcoming special event, Design Night Live. Join us on September 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern for Design Night Live, a Saturday night filled with design sketches, games, prizes, familiar faces, a silent auction, and more. During this interactive virtual event, attendees from all over will come together to celebrate design, community, and innovation. We'll be sharing the vision and impact of Design Museum Everywhere and hear from designers from around the world about the designs they can't live without. Join Design Museum on September 19th for a night filled with inspiring company, hands-on demonstrations, and incredible prizes. Tickets are just $60 and they include a year-long membership. Plus, Design Museum members attend for free. Get your tickets today at designnightlive.org. And we're back and we're joined by a special guest. Ann Peterson is the Director of Experience Design at 18F and over the last 15 plus years has worked across user experience, strategy, change management, digital governance, and content strategy. 18F is a unique office in the government. They partner across government to improve the user experience of interacting with, uh, with 
all different types of services and anything you can think of around government by iterating and openly building technical products and services. This part's key in a human-centered way. Uh, Anne's mission is to improve lives in large and small ways via beautiful, understandable, and sustainable digital products. Anne, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Yeah. Oh, so happy to have you with us. I wonder if we can start. I'd love just to hear more about 18F. Like, it sounds like a secret government entity, like MI6 and like James Bond. Uh, so what is it? Why is it called 18F? And, and what do y'all do? <laughs> sure. It's actually kind of the opposite of that. Uh, broadly speaking, I'll say 18F par partners with other agencies and offices within government to build and buy technology to improve user experience. We've worked with partners across many levels of government, from NASA to the Postal Service to Alaska's Department of Health and uh, Social Services to the city of Denver. Um, we are named, much like the startup we were in those early days, uh, obscurely, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but after the headquarters of the General Services Administration, uh, which is at the corner of 18 and F Streets in Washington, uh. D.C., why do designers need to be in government? I mean, for all of the reasons they should be anywhere, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, we need to learn, you know, what we're making and why we're making it. And frankly, like all this, all the way up to the policy level, we should be reconsidering the way government is designed because government is designed whether or not uh, designers are designing it. Um, so, right, it's happening for sure. Uh, just organically, it's happening. Um, but it's especially valuable, I would say, in uh, many areas, you know, architecture, which uh, the General Services Administration also administers, um, as well as digital experiences, which is where we are most of our, our days. Yeah, that's cool. So in your role as Director of Experience Design, how are you applying design to some of these challenges? And maybe a way to frame it would be like, what does a typical design project look for you if there is a typical one? <laughs> That's a fair question. Um, our projects are pretty hugely varied. So typical is tough. Uh, I would say in broad strokes, we tend to start with a discovery effort to research the problem at hand, but incredibly focused on end users. That is like actual individual people who may need the site or product we're designing. Uh, that said, because our projects sometimes focus on supporting government staff, those end users mm. may be our colleagues in other agencies or sometimes even fellow staff within the General Services Administration. But after we've done the research, uh, per usual process, we start prototyping, testing, building. Um, we've got a UX guide out there if you want to take a look at how we do it. I have a question kind of maybe for both of you. Um, how is designing for government different than designing in like the commercial space? You know, is is the process different? Uh, what makes what's the differentiator? I would say in government, we're privileged to serve. We get to design for the biggest needs out there rather than the biggest profits. And that means we truly get to put people first. The needs of the American people include a huge variety, diversity, disparity, and our job is to serve them. The scale that we design for is immense, um, but that also means that we have to think about our own position as technologists. How can we design with rather than for? How can we best anticipate potential harms in the products we're creating and prevent them before they launch? And how do we make sure that we're not unintentionally harming people uh, and the, 
the people and communities that we co-create with. Um, but that's, you know, another reason we want to document what we do so that other folks can learn from it and put those into practice with our UX guide and the methods cards and all of those, the content guide. There's even a guide of guides. From a local government context, like you can see the impact of your decisions tomorrow, right? You can really, really feel um, those disparities right and the challenges that either um, you're trying to navigate or that come from the decisions you've made you can see them quite immediately and i think it's like helpful to to reflect on the the power that lies at all the different levels of government and how it really truly impacts your um your life and i think uh as opposed to um i think in the private sector which you know i've you know, experience to to some degree of really being able to say like this is our scope and this is it. That's the this, this is our box. Um, we're not going outside, <laughs> not going of, outside it. of it. Um, there's this interesting relationship, uh, at least from like the government's perspective, of having to design for all. And I wonder, I, getting into the examples of the work, I think it'd be really helpful. So maybe sharing a couple, maybe of your favorite projects and like how you approach them. Sure, um, I will say my favorite recent public launch is and. Uh, I didn't work directly on this one, but my team did, uh, is the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division site, which you can find at uh, civilrights.justice.gov. People can use this site to report a civil rights violation, but the design covered both sides of the experience, both the public-facing way to submit their report, but also to help the Civil Rights Division not only get the right information, but help them kind of process those reports efficiently, which will save time and energy. Um, we've also got a blog post about that if you want to learn more. Um, but what I'm still working on is with the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, the first portion of our work with them was creating the, the ability to purchase permits to cut down your own Christmas tree in a national I forest. I saw this on this online. site. I love this project. Yeah. Um, that has launched, but uh, has a limited number of pilot forests. And now we're working on permits for gathering firewood in national forests. Yeah, I was checking that project out and and your other example as well. I just I really appreciate the holistic nature that you're applying. It's not like, you know, again, don't want our listeners to make assumptions either that, you know, oh, we're designing websites for a different government. It's like, well, no, it's like the full project. Like, what are they going to do with the data? Mm -hmm. Really empowering them. And, mm -hmm. and that's that's really neat. I think that's got to be kind of like what Sabrina was saying. It's your scope can grow, um, and I'm sure it does. Yeah, like as an example, we had to also design the the printed permit, right? That people would print <laughs> out and put in their uh, in their car, and you know, officials have to be able to read that when they're speeding past them on a road on the opposite direction. So, you know, how do you design that to be as easily read as possible? A lot of the framing that it sounds like 18F is uh, around is the sort of digital technology um, uh, bit, but uh, to the point you just made and that like we felt uh, as well is that, you know, technology may not always be the answer, one, right? And then two, um, there are so many other things that surround even the point where someone engages with that technology um, that need to be considered. And so I'm just curious how uh, your team holds that, especially you being in sort of this experience design um, space. For sure. Um, service design is also a consideration for sure. Like we have, folks who specialize in that as well as in the usual kind of information architecture and content design and all that content strategy. Um, but it is super important to be able to think about the entire experience front to back, back and forth at all layers. So zooming in and out on those uh, experience points, whatever those might be, whether those are 
an in-person uh, interaction with a frontline staff at a forest, uh, if that is even like going to a vendor to purchase a permit that way, and compare and contrast what the experience might be if it's going to change, like if it all moves online, which right now that tends to be the tendency because it is much more difficult to be in person for various reasons. Um, the, uh, you know, and even frankly, like saving people the time that it might take them to go in person to a, to a place, which was our focus before all this. Um, but that all, all aspects of that experience impact whether or not someone might carry it all the way through. So, uh, I think that 18F is roughly six years old or mm-hmm. so. Um, so what has been kind of like the collective impact of that important work over that time? Yeah, it's been like fairly wide ranging. It's certainly we work closely with agency partners. Uh, we want to make sure that they see design and research in action so that they can then put it into practice themselves after we're gone. Um, certainly so that it's sustainable going forward. We slowly move the hands-on work from us to them over time, though that them can sometimes include a commercial partner or vendor. And we do often consult about how to bring that outside skill on board as well, or how to help help them with how to hire in-house for those skills. But our aim is not to partner with them on an ongoing basis. We want to enable them to not only sustain the project at hand, but also start new efforts with those skills they might learn with us. So it feels like not only is our impact the projects, but it is also the practices um, that folks learn in their time with us. But I'll also note that our impact in the in the past six years has been incredibly wide ranging, spanning direct work with the National Science Foundation, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, the Federal Election Commission, the Department of Treasury, Department of State, many others. But we also help build open source products that are now used across government at all levels. For example, we've got Federalist, which is a website management tool. Cloud.gov is our platform as a service. Login.gov is our single sign-on solution. The U.S. web design system is the basis for thousands of government sites at this point. The like entrepreneur in me is like, there's just so many opportunities. How do you even like right. wrap your mind around um, what to do? But and we don't want to be like... there forever. Like exactly the, the yeah. fact that we do not have kind of a. a a motive to stay within government or stay within that agency for an ongoing basis forever and ever uh, really helps us to like enable our partner to do the work themselves rather than us being the expert or, you know, and frankly, we're not the expert. We are a partner because frankly, our partners within those agencies have more experience in the subject matter that they work in than we do. So we truly do come in or try to come in as much as we can as partnering, not uh, an expert or even frankly, to some extent, like, you know, placing design thinking into the arena. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm sure they very much appreciate that. Empowers them too. Right. Right. That's, that's what it's all about. That's great. Uh, I asked this question to Sabrina as well. I know it's a tough one. Again, we're just talking about like scale here, but do you have a dream project within government that you're like, oh, this is, I just love to like sink my teeth into this. Sure. Um, There's, there's a lot that it would be great (laughs) to look at from the start. Um, There are a lot of policies that over time we realize haven't been, uh, haven't done what they even intended to do in some cases. 
Um, and I don't want to pick out one, but I'm going to pick out one as an example. Uh, the Paperwork Reduction Act, which was, you know, from memory, and forgive me if this is wrong, someone fact check me on this one, which is from the 70s. It was intended to help people reduce the amount of uh, work that they had to do for the government. But it also froze a lot of forms kind of in place uh, and made it, frankly, harder to fill them out now that we can do it digitally, now that we could potentially pass information about what we know about a person from one system to another. Um, but there are many like that. So it would be great to you know, reevaluate all of the policies, laws, rules in place, um, guidelines even, and see if they're still suited to this current world that we live in and in all the various forms. Um, now that's a research project that might yeah, take a little while. A, that's that's a juicy one. <laughs> right. That's like let's let's do Front it. Front to back. That's let's awesome. just look at everything. <laughs> So I have this question for both of you, and I'm wondering about uh, what's your advice for designers interested in getting involved in civic design? There's, you know, much like the advice I would give to any designer, I would say start learning to be curious, start learning to be observant, um, try to understand that you need expertise, but you don't assume that you're the expert. Um, you have to include and honor people's lived experiences. Uh, make sure that you get comfortable with being uncomfortable because sometimes those uncomfortable silences get you the best information that you could possibly uh, get. Other, you know, Otherwise, you may spin past it and not get to hear what you needed to hear. Um, make sure that you're kind of realizing that you're going to have to center people having the toughest experience and build in accessibility at every step. And if you're prepared for all of that, you're in good shape to at least, you know, start on your path towards a career in civic design. Um, there's a lot to work on and we need the help. So please, you know, if you're interested <laughs> yeah. in the future, you know, if, you're, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to live in a I'm society in. and, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, have a, the, the support of your civic surroundings, whatever those might be, you could make an impact by being a civic designer yourself. Uh, yeah, I think my reflections would be similar in that um, the like being okay with not knowing, but be willing to explore that and this sort of sense of curiosity, I think is really important. Um, and, you know, something that I sit with all the time is that, you know, we are in positions where we can imagine what a different future looks like, but there are a lot of people with life situations that don't afford them that possibility. And so, um, you know, being willing to be a facilitator or take, you know, just find ways to hold space for that and really be the reminder um, that there's like more than meets the eye and um, that general desire to like always strive for thoughtfulness is uh, really important important to me, right? This question of like, how do we like recenter on our humanity? And I think that um, I would love any any folks who are willing to step into the space to not forget that. And, you know, I think with that is questioning things and, and yes, like being action oriented, but being incredibly reflective. Um, and, you know, to the point of that imagination or holding the space for that imagination, I think always asking why, right? Um, is incredibly important and not, again, I'm going to repeat it, but like not taking things on face value. 
one of the fucks on my team, uh, Cordelia, you will always remind us to ask who's benefiting. And that I think really helps get at the core of, you know, why, why are we doing this? And if we're doing it for the right reasons or for, for the right people. Last question. It's also for both of you. What would the world look like if I'll say design was engaged at every level of government? I will start by saying design is not inherently good, which y'all y'all should know and you do know. All right, how about this? If if we could infuse good, intentional, like human-centered, community-centered design, like what would be paint a picture for me? Like what what would that look like? I I do think that a future where like design and creativity is like prioritized and welcomed and brought into every room and every context will do that 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 work of questioning that like is what we're doing right now actually uh you know walking like working toward justice right is it actually working toward um righting the wrongs that we can clearly point to right now, probably could have pointed to 10 years ago, but without a process to interrogate, yeah, like, yeah right? without a process to interrogate <laughs> that. And I think design offers that of saying like, what are we looking at, right? And how do we actually chart a path toward something different and who needs to be involved? Again, all of the questions we um, sort of posed of who, why, to what end, how, um, those are things that I feel like designers hold and that creative folks, artists, um, folks who have a practice of saying that, you know, I, I want to like ask of the world a different set of questions by way of film and video and right, like saying things and doing things that will push us to to not accept that the way that we do things now is the only answer. I, I see that a world where design and creativity and like art and all its capacities um, is welcomed is one in which we recognize that government may have a role in our future, right? Right. It has a role in our right now. Um, but for it to work for us, for it to actually do what it needs to do to support all of us, we have to think beyond what we we're playing with today. If the way that we include the communities that we're designing with, not for, were included at all levels of anything created by government, things would look different, right? Hopefully it would look more just, more equitable, more accessible, more seamless, with everyone well-supported and well, well designed for making sure we're including the right people, making sure mm -hmm. that the outcomes are, you know, like easy to use and seamless and, you know, accessible. I love this conversation. Thank you both. And thank you, Anne, for joining us. This was great. For sure. Glad to be here. Listeners, check out Anne's and the team's work at 18F. Uh, they got great case studies. Uh, their website's 18f.gsa.gov. And you can check out the resources and methods at methods.18f.gov. All right, now it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we each share an example of good design that impacted us or others in a meaningful way. Liz, how about you kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. So. My weekly dose of good design today actually comes from months of bad design, which I typically don't talk about on here, but I have been sitting in this old wobbly chair at home during this pandemic, <laughs> 
for just long enough uh, to make me realize how incredibly amazing our chairs are at the office. Uh, we have the the Steelcase Series 1 chair, which of course we got in orange uh, to match, right, <laughs> to match uh, the Design Museum. And um, it's not only uh, the best chair in my opinion, uh, but it also was just rated the number one chair by CNN underscore, which I just thought was pretty cool that like we have that chair. Uh, and it's also just, you know, going to show again that I've gone long enough underappreciating it that uh, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Um, and fun fact, we'll actually be including one of the custom chairs in our silent auction for Design Night Live. So uh, some lucky winner will get to have a much more comfortable work from home setup uh, coming soon. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. I, I wish I was not sitting in my wobbly chair. Yeah, so you're going to, you know, I'm sorry, but I've made one trip downtown since the COVID and it was to pick up my chair my Steelcase one um, I series one. I think it has to happen. And I'm sitting in it right now and it is so comfortable. So yeah, I'm you glad. look relaxed. I'm you just, look comfortable. I feel good. It's adjustable. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I love that chair and love the team at Steelcase. Yes, awesome. Me too. All right. So, my weekly dose uh, comes from Sam Schmitz. Uh, he is a mechanical engineer at Form Labs. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Form Labs makes these really great 3D printers. Sam took on a really neat project. He was inspired by a book written in the 1860s called 507 Mechanical Movements by Henry T. Brown. And it's basically an old school reference book for mechanisms. And there's literally 507 of them in the book. Uh, so Sam has started designing and 3D printing like these little mechanisms based on the mechanisms in the book. And he's done about a dozen or so and he's still going just like, making it happen. Each one has its own like little personality. They're like in different colors and they move, right? So um, they're really fun. He also 3D prints uh, like a little nameplate on them with the text from the book. And because it's like a super old school book, the the phrases are pretty funny. So I def definitely recommend checking them out. They're really fun. Uh, Sam mentions that he started doing this because, you know, musicians, writers, designers all practice their craft, like designers sketch, uh, writers write. Um, and he was like, well, I'm an engineer. Like, how do I practice? And uh, he, he said, even though he's been practicing, uh, professionally practicing as an engineer for a decade, he, he learned a lot by creating these simple mechanisms that he's brought into his professional career. Uh, and so we'll post a link on the site, but definitely check them out. Okay, Sabrina, you are up. Okay. So I have three things that I really want to make mention of. They're organizations and, and work that I think is really um, grounding me in this moment for sure. And that I sort of circle back to and have the pleasure of working with all three of these groups. But the first one would be uh, Designing the Wii's Undesign the Red Line. It, it's been around for um, almost well, I mean, at this point, maybe almost 10 years now. I think in this moment where we're trying to make sense of how we got here and what things look like, it's helpful to see a project that really outlines the policies, practices, and investments that really shaped our separate and unequal cities here in the United States. Um, and uh, shout out to April DeSimone and um, Braden Crooks for, for really their work trying to put that together and had a pleasure of working with them on that. I also want to shout out Antoinette Carroll, um, and the Creative Reaction Lab. And the reason why I wanted to bring up both of those, I think the language around redesigning is something that um, Antoinette really pushes um, uh, and, and really tries to help ground where do we go from here as designers. 
um, and design allies, but also with designing the we um, and and their work that undesigning. And so I think undesigning, redesigning, and really that imagining. I'm super grateful to have folks, especially folks of color, um, really grounding and leading the way about how design can um, really shape and shift our future for the better. And for Antoinette's work, working with young people, I think is incredibly um, impactful and I've like really love bearing witness to that. And I would say my last thing is local to Boston, um, but uh, I have not fully read it yet and I'm very, very excited to. And so I recommend it to everyone as well. But uh, Design Studio for Social Interventions, new book, Ideas, Arrangement and Effects. Um, I've had the pleasure of sitting in on their sort of reading club. There's maybe one more uh, coming up and it has just been really remarkable, like some of the feelings and senses that you have and the observations you make as designers who are always looking at space and, and thinking about like the social constructs around us, of them um, writing uh, and putting words to our social arrangements, right? And uh, really helping try and create a framework for looking at um, how we might start to imagine those different futures I think we talked about in this conversation today. Um, and so shout out to all three of them and the great work that they're doing in, in New York and St. Louis and Boston and beyond um, and really recommend looking into them. Thank you. Thank you both. That's our show for this week. Thank you again to Sabrina Dorsonville and Ann Peterson for joining us. We'll post links to their websites and the other resources we talked about on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. And I hope to see you all on Saturday, September 19th for Design Night Live, where we'll hear from Ramallah Mohammed and Jessica Kender of Little Fires Everywhere. We do still have some tickets available if you want to join us. So just go to designnightlive.org. I can't wait for that. I can't wait to hear their presentation. I can't wait to bring everyone together. Yes, virtually, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So. Uh, be sure to check us out on social media. Actually, you can see everyone with their iHeart Design selfies. You can find us on Twitter at design underscore museum and on Instagram at design museum everywhere. And just search Design Museum Everywhere and you'll find us on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. And make sure to subscribe to Design is Everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way we'll always be on your feed on Thursday mornings. Yes, indeed. This episode was written by me, Sam Aquilano, and produced by Ryan Flom. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For Liz Pollack and the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.